Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to The Liquidator, the strictly 100% unofficial fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast, this time borrowing from the old Grorty Dick fanzine and their motto for the Albion, Semper Te Falant. They always let you down. This was the Baggies' most keenly anticipated match of the season. They'd hauled themselves back into playoff contention after wins on the road at Stoke and Blackpool and weekend results for Millwall and Blackburn meant that a top six place was within the baggies grasp so of course they lost to Sunderland to discuss this and more I'm joined as usual by the author of From Bizarro to Ballis Chris Lepkowski so Chris there was just something crushingly inevitable something very Albion about all that anticipation and all that anticlimax it always seems to happen, doesn't it? You know, we um, we find ourselves in a position where there's a little bit of pressure on us to get a result. There's an expectation. And too many individuals just don't react to it or don't react positively to it. I actually asked the question a few days ago whether having two of our final three games that can be moved – one was obviously um, Sunderland, the other one being Norwich, both games that are actually taking place later than some of the other games taking place or most of the other games taking place. And I'll, I'll pose the question whether that would help us or maybe hinder us. And based on the results that came through on Saturday, especially that dramatic late goal at Preston, you thought, well, the onus is on us to produce something and, and get the result. And I, I thought there were times against Sunderland where we looked a better team, where we played with a persistently strident attitude. I thought there were times that we looked bubbly, we looked attacking, but there were other times where we just we just didn't react and we weren't reacting to some of the things that Sunderland were doing. And, and the two goals, I think, were great examples of that. Both were very, very well-worked goals. But if you look at some of our defending, especially for that second goal, Absolutely dismal, dreadful to see Mark Albrighton not even making any effort to try and get the ball back. And it was just a really meek and flimsy response for Sunderland going ahead from our point of view. Yeah, I think you've been a bit harsh myself. I think that we had the hallmarks of a team that just looks spent, quite honestly. And I don't think we should underestimate the effort that's gone into getting us back into contention, that second-half performance against Stoke, which we commented on the last podcast, such a really unlikely position to get ourselves back into. They haul themselves back against Stoke. I was there at Blackpool for the last midweek game, and although people watching it on telly said Albion didn't play particularly well, let me tell you, watching in the stadium, that was a game that Blackpool had to win, and they played, according to local press reports, as well as they had played all season in that game. So it was a tough physical battle. And in the second half, when Albion were attacking the end towards which the Albion fans were gathered on the side, you could tell, for example, that Brandon Thomas Asante just looked knackered. He didn't do anything in the second half. He's got a very good goal, a kind of balletic goal to give Albion the lead in that match. And it continued into the Sunderland game. BTA, I don't think anybody would accuse him of lacking for effort and intensity generally, but he just looked like he didn't have anything left in the tank. 
Okoyakushlu, obviously the manager wants him back if he is at all approaching fitness, but he was not fit. He was not remotely fit for the game against Sunderland. And that second goal that you're talking about, you can see him tracking a couple of players in that build-up and not quite making them. So I just think we ran out of gas, quite honestly. I don't think it's all over yet, by the way. We've got three games to go. If we win those, such is the nature of the championship, we will be in the top six. I don't expect us to, but then I didn't expect us to get into this position where we were in sight of the playoffs and we had it in our hands to do it on the day. I think Sunderland were a better side. They moved the ball a lot better than Albion did. And I just think you have to put your hands up sometimes and say that you lost to a a better team. Yeah, I I do agree with that. I thought Sunderland were much better than us. And you saw the way they responded and grew into the game. And some of the passing was excellent. You know, some of their movements, some of the, cohesion and just the way they gelled together as a team was a lot better than us and I think you're right in so much that we are a bit knackered but it was just some of the things that we didn't do well I didn't think particularly owed a lot to us being knackered I'll take on board that we might be mentally fatigued as well and that does maybe compromise decision making and and doing the right thing at certain times but I thought that we did quite a few things well in the game, you know, attack-wise. But if you look at the first Sunderland goal, you know, it's a great cross from the right, but we had two players shielding or what should have been shielding that particular territory. He still managed to get the cross in. And then Sirkin or Kirkin, the, the goal scorer, gets in between Mlumbi and Ajayi. And that was a poor goal to concede. And I, I just think that we let ourselves down defensively and, and with what we did off the ball, I thought it was really bad in that respect. And and I, I accept the fact that there are players who are knackered, there are players who aren't fully fit. But I just thought we could have seen out that game or at least taken a point and to lose the way we did to this point. And I'm with you. I don't think it's over yet. I think we've got a really good chance still of making the playoffs. My issue isn't so much that we've got the game in hand and, you know, we have to get results in those games coming up now, but it's just whether the pressure may be in the fatigue and the injuries have maybe caught up with us and, and whether that might be the deciding factor in whether we make the top six or not. What I thought about the Sunderland game was actually it was quite a quite a niggly game, wasn't it? I don't think there were eight bookings. There was a feeling that a Jay might have won a couple of penalties. There were question marks from the Sunderland point of view about the penalty that we did get. I, I thought it was a penalty. Watching it live in the stadium, I thought it was a penalty. And then when I've watched it again, I think that the player does Sunderland player does clatter into Swift and knock him over. There may have been a shout, as I say, for a Jay having a couple of pens in the second half. There's also a moment when Sirkin scored his first goal when their number 28 pushed over Darnell Verlong, just shoved him to the ground. So there was a bit of a niggle in that game. I mean, I don't know if that really affected the result. It was quite a difficult game, I think, to, to referee. I think both teams were... A little bit naughty, let shall we say? Mm. You know, it was just just had that kind of edge to it. As a fan, I've got to, I quite enjoyed that. It was an, an agreeably niggly game from my point of view. It's just a shame that that we uh, were were on the wrong side of the result. But you look at the first half 
although we went in 1-0 up, Sunderland had actually bossed the first half. The second half, we did improve. There was that flurry of shots. I mean, how we didn't score early in the second half were about four attempts that were either blocked or charged down by defenders. I thought in the second half as well, Ajayi had licence to come forward a bit more to try and cover for the fact of Yukushlu's lack of mobility. Ajayi seemed to me was encouraged to come off the back four and try and snap into midfield and make a few tackles. A bit of a gamble, maybe, because every time Ajayi didn't make a tackle, we were suddenly then left exposed behind. But, you know, it's a game that could have gone either way. Corbrand talked about our uh, finishing not being clinical enough. That that may be so. But overall, I think they were the better side. I think there were one or two question marks about Corbrand's own decision-making. I don't blame him for picking Yukushlu. And I think that if you'd said to any Albion fan before the match, Yukushlu's 80% fit or he's passed a fitness test, but he may not be fully match fit. Would you play him? I reckon every Albion fan would have picked Yukushlu. He is the, the de facto captain. He is the leader of the team and all that. But I would have thought after about 65 minutes, it was evident that he wasn't right. And the energy that Taylor Gardner-Hitman brought when he came on suggested that he should have been brought on earlier. That's not just being clever after the event. I was saying that in the stadium as well. And of course, he'd scored that goal, the second goal at Blackpool in midweek. So he was high on confidence. So I think there may have been a question mark about Corbran's unwillingness to trade off Yukushlu for Taylor Gardner-Hitman. And given how lethargic BTA was... I'd have been tempted to at least have given Mo Fall 15 minutes. I think that was Mo Fall's debut, wasn't it? In the championship, yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of goals at youth level, and even just for 15 minutes, I would have thought it was worth a, a roll of the dice, given that it was a game ideally we could have done with winning. I know I know a draw would not have been disastrous, but you kind of think, well, let's, let's try and get the win. So I think maybe there was a little bit of a kind of slightly cautious view there from Corboran. I think Yukushlu, it was very evident early on that he, he was struggling. There were at least three occasions where he was late with a challenge or, or slightly reckless, shall we say, and he got away with him. I thought a stricter referee might have pulled him up a lot sooner than he did. I mean, he did eventually get a yellow card. With Taylor Gardner-Hickman, he looked good when he came. I mean, obviously, I'm lucky with the, the shot he had. There's an issue there, I think, of trust. I get the feeling that the energy he brings and the the, the value he brings in terms of the athleticism, I think, is evident. And we can see why he would be a consideration. I just wonder if Corboran trusts his use of the ball and his ability to retain the ball. I do think sometimes he can be a little bit reckless with passes, doesn't always make the right pass. And, and you know, that a lot of that comes from experience. He's still young, but that's something he has to improve on. And I think he will improve on it, but I still think there's an element of trust that isn't quite there in the way that it is with other players in the team. And I think Gardner Hitman, I think whatever happens between now and the end of the season, whether our season's extended or not, that's something that he really has to to work on, I think, over the pre-season and, and close season. That that ability 
to just keep the ball and maybe you make better use of it when he does have it. You look at the championship table, Sunderland are sixth with 65 points. They only won the same number of games as we have. You know, it's so tight in that area, as we've seen with Albion seemingly out of the race for the playoffs, then in a position where it was in our own hands. It's out of our own hands again now. Although I say that, if we won our three games, I think we would probably make the playoffs. I think the game that people have looked ahead and thought, hmm, maybe that's the one that we kind of accept we might lose is Sheffield United away. But they've lost a FA Cup semi-final. They're pretty mm-hmm. certain of automatic promotion. I mean, it's taken an amazing blow-up from Sheffield United. So you kind of think, well, you know, can we get a draw at Bramall Lane? Not out of the question for me. Can we beat Norwich at home? Well, Norwich have been on a big slide, although even they are not totally out of the playoff equation. But they lost 3-0 at home to Swansea at the weekend. And then final day, we're away at Swansea again. Also not out of the playoff equation, not mathematically, because they've had a fantastic late run. So the odds are against us, I would say now. The odds are against us because of the fixtures that we've got to play. But I think it is still, bizarrely, just about in our own hands. And honestly, will we get there? Probably not, Chris. Probably not, if I'm being absolutely honest. But people very quickly forget where we were when Corboran took over. To even go into the last three games of the season, having something to play for, is an achievement. Yeah, I don't disagree with that in respect of where we were when he took over. If we win the final three games, we'll get definitely be into the playoffs. That's not 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 in the question because there are games taking place between some of the protagonists in the top six, or rather those chasing a place in the top six or or trying to defend their place in the top six. So there will be teams dropping points. The key in my view, is that we still give ourselves a chance by the time we play Norwich. I think that is the really big one. You know, if we can get something at Sheffield United, brilliant. I think we have to look at it and consider United to be the favourites in that game, not least as they might need a point or two or even three points just to rubber stamp that promotion. But if we can be in contention by the time we play Norwich, and by that, I mean that there will have been games before ours that will give us an indication of how the land lies and whether we've still got a chance of getting into the playoffs. If we don't win at Sheffield United, that is. If we go into that game against Norwich, I think we've got a really strong chance as long as as we're still in it by the time we kick off against them. You end up doing all the maths. I mean, Sheffield United, if yeah. they win, Sheffield United, if they win against us, will guarantee automatic mm. promotion with three games to play. So for them, there is a very clear incentive that they'll do it in front of their own fans and it will be they'll be home and hosed. But you look lower down, the maximum number of points that Sunderland can get is 71. Millwall can get 71. Blackburn, with three to play, can get 74. We, with three to play, can get 72. 
Coventry can get 72 as well. So it, it's you know it, it's hard to say whether it is in our own hands or not. But we're, it's sort of we're on the cusp of that, really. But, uh, you know, as I say, you know that if you got yourself into that position, if we beat Sheffield United and we beat Nor- Norwich and and Swansea were out of it, so with nothing to play for on the final day, you know we'd be back here again saying Semper te Philant, don't you? <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Mm. Anyway, let's see. Let's see. But, um, you know, it, it's disappointing. Uh, disappointed as well, Chris. You know, but there's a lot of talk about, oh, bring the liquidator back. And it, mm. it, for the first five or six minutes, the atmosphere in the ground was really loud. I said to my uh, my little girl, who's only been really coming the last season and a half, I said, this is the loudest you've ever heard it, isn't it? And she said, yes. And then it went, it went quiet a bit, really. We didn't sell out. And we've talked before about the need to try and attract people who don't normally come to the Hawthorns. I think one of the things is that to buy tickets for games at the Albion, you've got to have a previous booking history. Now, how do you I mean, how do you buy your first ticket at the Albion if you don't have a previous booking history? They make it difficult. I mean, clearly for games like this, where the, there might be a demand from the away supporters, Sunderland didn't actually sell out their allocation, but there might be a demand from away supporters. You obviously got to be careful that away fans who've got whose presence in home areas might end up causing trouble that they don't get tickets. But you've got to make it easier for people who might just fancy coming down and buying a ticket for the first time. You've got to make it easier for them to get into the stadium. It didn't help that it was a Sunday 12 o'clock kickoff. I know people who didn't make it. I was speaking to some people in a pub in West Brom the other day who were talking about the fact that I think it was the the final weekend of the Worley League. So, you know, people who might play Sunday football and yeah. who would otherwise come and watch the baggies were unable to get there. There was issues like that. But it comes back to a point I made recently, Chris. We've really got to be much more aggressive, not just selling to our existing fan base, but going out, winning new friends, encouraging people to come for the first time. And although it was a disappointing result, this would have been an attractive game to really bang the drum and encourage people, yeah, you've never been, come and try it. Come and enjoy this for the first time. You know, it's not just at West Brom, but other clubs now make it or, or try and put so many different filters in place just so the tickets are going to the right hands or going into the right supporters' hands so that you don't get people maybe coming into a stadium who shouldn't be there. I think at Albion, you can become a member, can't you? And and then that sort of guarantees you that, that you can actually buy a ticket for the game. And like you say, past purchase history is also used and it is difficult knowing what to do for the best. I think the pricing at Albion has been so good and reasonable that incentive is there. It's cheap, relatively cheap by football league or Premier League EFL standards to go and watch football at the Hawthorns. So if you're not getting people through the gate, you have to look at other ways and, and why are people still not returning or coming in their droves? There has to be a reason for that. And you'd like to think that those are things that the club are looking at. They're looking at potential reasons why people aren't coming, maybe creating pathways to make it easier for people to come, make it more of a, a family occasion perhaps, or, or even have to bring in further incentives to try and bring people. And I, I don't really know how 
when your pricing is so good and, and competitive compared to other clubs, I really struggle to pinpoint why there are still empty seats and why people still may not have got back into the habit or be in the habit of going to games. Maybe it, it is a legacy of the decay of the club over the last few years. I know we had that year in the Premier League, but it wasn't inside stadiums. It was the COVID season. So maybe there was still a legacy of that. There's still maybe people who haven't returned. Maybe there are people who've just got bored of, of watching a slog it out, knowing that the club's in trouble. You know, it, there could be any manner of reasons. Of course, there is a cost of living issue as well. So it's a challenge for the club. It is a challenge around for football clubs generally. But if you cannot sell out for the game that we had against Sunderland, notwithstanding the fact it's on TV, which doesn't help, but, you know, that's a big match and it is disappointing that, that there are empty seats and that it is a little bit arduous to try and buy tickets if you're a casual fan. Yeah, well, marketing, I think. I'm not a marketing expert, but that's what people who do marketing do, isn't it? They grow the number of people who want to buy your product. And I think that's something we're not particularly good at at the Albion, I have to say. Just on another note, by the way, I noticed that Sheffield United didn't sell out their tickets for the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley against Manchester City. I think tickets were 65 quid. (laughs) Now, you roll in the cost of a trip down to London, maybe a hotel as well, News of the cost of living crisis clearly hasn't reached the doors of the FA, has it? And I just think that is quite telling. You know, Sheffield United are not a club who make regular appearances at games of this stature, though they have had one or two over recent years. But they're not exactly regulars at Wembley, are they? So you just assume that would be an automatic sellout. But it wasn't. I saw Steve Stride, the former Villa secretary, commenting on social media that semi-finals should go back to being at neutral venues. And I agree with him. The downside of it is that your casual fan, I suppose, the person who might get caught up in the excitement of a cup run, gets locked out if you play cup games at neutral venues. But the idea of playing at Wembley should surely be the prize. I mean, if you get to Wembley in the semi-final, what's the big deal then about going to Wembley for the final? You know, big games spread around the country as well. I agree, and there's no reason why the two semi-finals, one could have been at Tottenham Stadium or at the Emirates, or the other could have been at Old Trafford or Anfield. These are big stadia. You know, it's a little bit different to how it was in the late 80s and early 90s before Wembley became a regular semi-final venue. Back then, there were different issues. There obviously been Hillsborough. There had been a, a need to maybe have stadia with, that was deemed safe or with higher allocations but now in this Premier League era we've got so many big stadiums emerging that have been built that should be able to accommodate quite easily up to you know 70 or or 60,000 supporters without any problem and I think it goes to show really the lack of thought given to supporters you know you're you're not only dragging them down to Wembley at the prices that it costs to watch a game at Wembley you're then demanding that they do so in a later kickoff on a Saturday or a later kickoff on a Sunday you're charging them huge amounts for all the various merchandise outlets and and, um, food and drink outlets and then they've got to get back the supporters have got to find a way of getting back And if you're north of Birmingham, that's very difficult. And there's no thought goes into it. 
it is what it is. The FA committed to this and sod the fans. You're just going to have to fall into line. Talking of cost of living crisis, Chris, just want to encourage people, if they can, to support Smedic Food Bank. They're after all sorts of long-life food to help some of the neediest members of the community closest to the Hawthorns. Pasta, tin tomatoes, coffee, cereals. Do help them out if you can. There's a full list of the foodstuffs they need and details of where you can drop them off at smethic.foodbank.org.uk. That's smethic.foodbank.org.uk. And, uh, Chris, we've got our big night out at the Green Duck Brewery in Starbridge on Thursday, April the 27th. If you were unlucky enough to miss out on a ticket, just to say, if you go to the Green Duck Brewery website, there may be one or two people who aren't able to make the rearranged date. So if you go to their shop and then look into live events, there may still be the odd one or two tickets available if you want to try your luck and see if you can get a ticket. I'm sure there'll be touts outside flogging them at ludicrous inflated prices. I'm sure that StubHub have got a, a thriving trade in black market tickets, but we're very much uh, looking forward to it. And, you know, fingers crossed if it goes well, and hopefully it will, then we might talk about doing more. But let's let's get this one out of the way. And moving on to the trivia, Chris, a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed David Jesse Darson. He's got this fantastic book about Desi pubs coming out. He mentioned, I think his favourite was the Red Lion in West Bromwich, just over the road, yeah. across the dual carriageway from the hospital. I went there the other day for the first time. I had a very nice fish meti curry and saw the lovely stained glass windows there as well that mark the arrival of people from the Indian subcontinent and the visit of Malcolm X to Smethwick and Marshall Street as well. So uh, big up to the... Uh, the Red Lion in West Bromwich and J- David Jesse Darson for his book. We forgot to tell you who the winner was of the quiz question who would win David Jesse Darson's book. The winner is Kieran Norton. So, Kieran, if you drop me an email with your address, as soon as David Jesse Darson's book about Desi Pubs is out, we'll make sure that you get a copy. So, on to trivia then, Chris. Last week's question just to remind us I asked, uh, Who am I? By the way, I did go to the Red Cow in Smethwick a few days ago. and um, Which is one I raved about recently, well. yeah. yeah. Um, did you I, enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Good. I did, Good. fantastic. Good. Good. Um, but on, on trivia matters, I asked who was the following player. Joined Albion from Carlisle, then moved on to Oldham, returned to Carlisle and saw his career at Queen of the South. Now, one or two people picking up on the Carlisle connection said Scott Doby... But you gave it away by your clue, and this is how got, how I got it. You said, introducing your quiz question, it's a cracker. And the answer was George McVitie. It was, and well, well done to Martin Shivlock, who um, who got in touch with us and confirmed the answer. I know he, he tagged me in as well, so well done to anyone who got that. It was indeed George McVitie. Well, let me quickly run through some of the many people who got this right. I always think of ourselves as being young, hip things, 
influencers with a bunch of 20-somethings <laughs> following us. And then I realised when we get the answers into this, this is probably the most popular quiz question we've ever done. Harking back to a player from the 1970s, George McVitie. Uh, David Neal got it right. Ashley Hayward. The Tongues, a listener in uh, New Zealand, by the way. Uh, this was Steve Tongue, actually, in New Zealand. It's a bit strange when I get an email that says The Tongues on it. Uh, Steve Tongue, uh, listening in New Zealand, well done to you. Uh, who else? Loads of them this week. Roy Mundy, Stephen Williams, Neil Hamilton, John Bissell, a tricky right winger, he says, who lacked a turn of speed, but he was a very good footballer. That's George McVitie, not, not George, John Bissell, I hasten to add. Go on, then, what we got for this week, Chris? Yeah, quite a simple one. Another who am I question for you. And this particular question is, who's the shortest ever player to represent West Brom? Okay. Uh, drop an email to goldbergradio at gmail.com. Mark it trivia. And if you get it right, we might mention you next week. Thanks very much indeed, Chris. I will do another Liquidator Live after the Sheffield United game on Wednesday. So do tune into that if you want to join in, Chris. You know, you're always welcome. I know we get a, a great reaction to that on Twitter and uh, elsewhere as well. But for now, thanks very much, Nick. I'll see you next week. Cheers, mate. And I'll see you on Thursday at the Green Duck Brewery in Starbridge. Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs>